35 or 40%. That's not yet returned. So we're, we're waiting on them. We're not waiting, waiting. We're going ahead with service and believing God for miracles. And God is moving in a special way. This is the third message in the Travel Light series. Well, you've heard a lot of phrases in your life. No doubt that has impinged your emotions. This morning I was uh, coming to the church and uh, it was early, uh, early, and uh, I, got, I got to the place where I turn left to go to McDonald's or I go straight to go to Wawa. And uh, so this morning I thought, what, what do I want to do? And then I, I went straight and I thought, well, if I want to change my mind, there's another road up here I can go left on and and, uh, and, and go down to McDonald's. And, and then I passed that road and I got down the intersection there, 98, and I thought, all right, God, which way? You know, this is a big decision. McDonald's, home of the Golden Arches, where our friend works at all night, every Saturday night. Or do I turn right and go to Wawa? And some way or another, my steering wheel began to turn right. So I'm cruising down to Wawa, pulled in, can jump out and go in. And there's a precious lady there that gets there about 4.30. When I go in, if, if I go there, she said, oh, I got just the right sandwich for you. How many of you, it feels good that somebody's got a sandwich for you? You know what I'm talking about? Now, now she's just for you. So I, I got it. And, uh, but when I got out of the car and I was going in the store there, was bundled up almost in a fetal position but not totally was a a a piece of humanity he looked to be 20 25 years of age and when I got close he was there and I noticed that his left hand had nothing but a thumb on it I, I noticed that his right hand had three fingers I noticed that his leg was crippled looking and he was dishuffled in his hair. And I noticed on his legs, he had his pant legs pulled up, was bleeding. And it looks like they'd been scraped and he's pulling sand spurs out of, out of his socks and just picking them out and throwing them aside. I, I walked by him and I said, how are you doing this morning? He just looked up. He didn't say anything. I went in and uh, it's really quick in and out, came by him. and See you later. Walked on. Because I got someplace to go. I got almost to the car. And that same Holy Spirit that bothers you began to bother me. So you need to go back and help him. And I said, God, I am a man of God here. (laughs) God said, you need to go back and help him. And then I thought I heard these words. You don't want to have a bad day, do you? (laughs) Oh, Lord. Well, I opened the door. I opened and threw that little sandwich in there and I went back. So I walked up to him. I said, how are you doing? 
I noticed he'd had a stroke. His face was drawn. And he said, I'm making it. I handed him some money. I said, what's your name? He said, Matthew. I said, Matthew? He said, I said, did you know that Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples? He said, did you know that he was a tax collector? He smiled and went, I said, did you know that Jesus loves you? Did you know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? And he said, I said, well, he does. And so I'm here today to let you know that Jesus loves you. How are you doing today? Said it again. I'm making it. I gave him some money. Prayed and left. I always think every time I experience that, I wonder how he got where he's at. How did he get there? Who were his parents? What part of culture turned their back on him if they did? What church maybe overlooked him? What home maybe treated him like a number and not a real person? From the looks physically, he didn't weigh 100 pounds, not a threat. I could visibly see the the physical challenges that he had. And yet, I knew that the God who redeemed me, redeemed you, cared as much about him as he did any one of us. And I thought, I wonder how many times someone's even asked him his name. I wonder how many times someone has said, hey, you're going to make it. I wonder how many times someone has stopped long enough to even care about his life. And you look at that, and I saw what considered to be a, a piece of humanity that was wasting away in a world that could easily walk by and not care. And yet I'm reminded as I read the stats on teenage suicide is higher than it's ever been. And I read the stats of how many commit suicide during this COVID season. How many families have split up and parted. How many children have no hope. And I think about that's not God's will in any of those cases for that to be. And then I wondered in making reality as all of us, I wonder how many have heard the words, get out of my life. Or how many have heard the words, you're not good enough, you're stupid. 
Or how many individuals have heard the words, I don't love you anymore. The love that I have is cold and I can't stand you. Get lost. You see, the reality is when people say that to us, we often internalize that. We often look at it in our heart of hearts and it grows deeper and creates walls and creates hardness and stubbornness and resentment. And have you noticed that often we internalize the negative things that people say to us far more than we do the positive things that take place? And all of us are emotional. Some respond emotionally more sensitively than others. And others have an emotion that says it doesn't matter what you say to me, I will survive. My life doesn't count on what you think. And yet there are many challenges in our culture today. And I I looked at old Matthew there and I thought, I wonder how many emotional doors are open for him. How many times he sat on a pavement before 6 o'clock in the morning picking sand spurs off because apparently he wandered through a sand spurs patch in the night or didn't sleep. No one offered him a washcloth to help clean up. Here's what I know, that God's desire is for his children and everyone to be whole emotionally, to be whole physically, and to be whole spiritually. If you believe that, say amen. But yet the world hears, and we often hear it, and if you didn't hear it as an adult, you may have heard it as a child or maybe a young person in school, you don't fit in here. You know, you're not one of us. You don't matter. You don't belong here. You don't have what it takes to be a part of this family, of this club. Many have said of this church. And that breaks the heart of Almighty God. Because in reality, every one of us happen to be very special in the eyes and in the heart of God. And what we often do when people say that to us, we begin to feel that. And we get to the place that I want to call, we become a conformer. We think, if you don't like me, I'll conform in order to be the kind of person that you will approve of, that you will care for. And if I don't fit in, I'll do whatever it takes to fit in. And so many a young lady have given up their virginity trying to fit in with the crowd or some man's life. Many a family, Christian family, when they got friends with money, began to change their spiritual standard trying to fit in where they shouldn't worry about. There was one that was a conformer. It was Saul, King Saul. King Saul made a confession in 1 Samuel 15, 24. He said, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. I failed to be a leader. I conformed to their way. I didn't step out and lead. I didn't go to a higher level. What I did was I I fell into their pattern. And there was no difference between my leadership and them. And you might remember some of the struggles young people face today if, if you don't have the right sneakers what we call tennis shoes. Long, long ago, it was the right clothing. You got to have the clothing that counts. And the clothing that were popular a number of years ago happened to be polo, and the other was Izod. And if you didn't have those clothes, all the 
the wonderful people, the wealthy kids in the school, of course, had it. They had those things. The young man, his mama was smart, true story. She thought, is that the way you feel, son? She went down to the Salvation Army, paid 25 cents for a pair of Izod socks and polo socks. She took those socks home. She bought a generic shirt that had nothing on it. She cut off the Izod label, cut off the polo level label. She was a good little seamstress. She took that shirt, she showed, sewed that polo label on and sewed that Izod label on and said, put this one on. And you, when he said, what I felt like was a million dollars. Nobody knew that my shirt and my emblems only cost my mama about three and a half dollars while theirs cost 18, 20, 30 dollars. He said, I felt like a million dollars, but the shirt made the difference to him. But if you're hurting emotionally, you can't just show a, sew a little patch on. Many have given away their spiritual standard in order to fit it in the culture in which they work. You see, here's another. No matter what, you're, you're not good enough and you don't measure up and you don't have what it takes. As a kid, if you didn't get chosen in the athletics to play because you were not athletically skilled, you were overlooked. You were overlooked. The reality is when you, you buy into that kind of lie, you often slip into what I call a performer mode. And you say, okay, no matter, you're not good enough here. You're not good enough in this situation. I remember Sharon and I watched Andy Griffith. And one of the things or one of the stories that had, Andy was invited to go to a club there in Raleigh. It was a club full of professional men and Barney thought he would go along too. And so they went in and Barney studied up on what he thought was stocks and all this, that, and the other typical Barney fight. Andy was there and they said, we'll get back with you later, shortening the story. A week later, they call Andy and said, you're in, but listen, your, your deputy there, Barney, he just didn't cut it. He just didn't cut it. And you could see it was obvious. Well, Andy didn't have the heart to come right out and tell Barney, you didn't, you didn't make it. When he did approach him, he said, well, Barney, the reality is that, that one of us didn't make it. One of us didn't qualify. We didn't pass muster. And Barney said to Andy, well, Andy, I'm sorry you didn't make it. I promise you when I'm there, I'll, I'll defend you. It wasn't, wasn't Barney that made it. It was Andy. You see, life's just that way on numerous occasions. And when that happens and we hear the negative voice, we say, how, how am I going to perform in a way that will in fact make it happen to make a difference in my life? No matter what, you're not good enough. I want to be in the performer mode. Well, listen, I'll perform a little more. In other words, if I'm not accepted, if I'm not accepted, I'll do whatever it takes to perform to be accepted. Well, there's a reference in Luke 10, 38. It is the Mary and Martha syndrome. And here it is. You, you remember that Mary's at the feet of Jesus. She's washing his feet, tending to him. Martha is busy. She's busy taking care of the house and taking care of the lunch. But the scripture says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
What was she saying? If you read between the lines a little bit, Martha placed value on doing everything perfectly. It had to be right. Everything had to be right. The appetizer had to be right. The place setting had to be right. Anything that was there, the meal had to be good, had to be served hot. She's going through all of that because she felt like if it's not perfect, Jesus won't accept me. He won't understand. And there's some people today that allow the devil to beat them up thinking that their life has to be perfect, thinking their home has to be perfect, thinking that the house has to be perfect as company comes over. Let me suggest to you, friend, everything does not have to be perfect in order for God to wrap his arms around you and say, it's okay. Somebody say amen to that. I don't have enough clothes. I, don't, I, I, I can't reach that level. I, I didn't make straight A's. I, I can't afford to be in second chair in the orchestra. There are some people that God designed to be in the second chair, and God designed some people not to make straight A's, I being one. But he did design some of us to have a whole lot of fun and take advantage of every opportunity. You see, when you try to be perfect, you put the pressure on others under your tutelage. And living with someone who everything has to be just right creates anxiety. And then there are men who say, I have to be the perfect provider. I have to provide. I'll tell you, my kids, they're going to have everything they want. They're not going to be like, like I was. So you provide and provide and you work and you work and you provide and you provide. And the reality is your kids are growing up and you have no relationship with them. And they say, how was, how was it being raised by your dad? Oh, we had a lot of stuff, but dad didn't have any time for us. Mom didn't have any time for us. They were busy providing. I like to have fun. How many come to that conclusion already? Okay, I'll wait and I'll ask it again. How many, how many know I like to have fun? So here it is. Little story. I create opportunities to have fun with my grandkids. Amen? I gave one of the great grandkids a little gift early this morning. One of the greats, great grandkids. But one of the grandkids was there. Sharon said, well, you gave the great one money, but you didn't give this one money. And this one spoke up and said, yeah. Yeah. And I'm a grandkid in the first order. And you gave it to the great-grandkid in the second order. I should have. But anyway, I, I, I enjoy those moments. So we had Taylor, our oldest grandchild. She called up. Sharon called. Somebody call somebody. Her birthday was Friday. Take her out to dinner. Where do you want to go? I said, you want to go to Granger's? Sharon says, you can't go to Granger's. It's her birthday. I can't. Where do you want to go? She said, let's go to Tapatia's. Like a Roger, a that's, that's good with me. Let's go. So there's Sharon and me and 
Taylor and her son, Colby David. And we went to the new part of Tapatillas, and it's a tile floor. Ceiling is high, and you can say, Happy birthday. And I said, Taylor, I'm going to have to sing happy birthday to you. Granddad, don't do that. No, listen, baby. You're 28 years old. I got to sing happy birthday. About that time, about that time, about 15 or 20, young Spanish Latin men dressed with suits and shoes looked to be 18 to 22 or 25. They all right, walked right past us to a table back there about, I don't know, 20 feet from where we are, they sat down and began to dialogue, and you could hear them. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me <laughs> and said, there's your choir. <laughs> I told Sharon, get your video camera. <laughs> I got up. I went back to where they are. How you doing, guys? I need help. You see, right over there is my granddaughter. Her name is Taylor. And I'm going to sing happy birthday to her, but I just know you guys surely know how to sing. And I'm going to ask you to join me. You think you can join me singing happy birthday? I said, happy birthday, Taylor. When we get to that part, Taylor, you got it. Yeah! And I started it off. Happy birthday to you. Buddy, they joined in. When we got to the place... Happy birthday, Taylor. They hung on to Taylor. Taylor's crawling under the table. <laughs> they sang and wound it up. I said, now there's a memory that you won't ever forget. Number 28, you'll remember here in this restaurant. When you drive by this restaurant, if it's still open 10 years from now, you remember that was number 28. So we finished up and the servers came over and they do that little, I don't, I don't know what it is, ice cream cake deal. And they sang happy birthday in Spanish. And then they, they hit happy birthday in English. Just the two of them. But my little choir over there, when they heard them singing again, buddy, they pitched in one more time. And when they got to Taylor, they let it fly again. Taylor, what, what am I trying to tell you? You know, life gives you opportunities that often you can be so busy providing. You can be so busy pleasing others. You can be so busy trying to do all the things you need to do. And there are opportunities of relationship building that's right there under your nose. And I'm saying, don't let those get by. Somebody with me? So, well, weren't you concerned about embarrassing Taylor? Hello? I could give her $20 and she'd be unembarrassed. So the point is, is in life, 
God says, I want you liberated and free. I want you to understand. Here's another. You're not worthy of the love or of acceptance. You ever been rejected by someone that you thought loved you? Many individuals have been abused and rejected and been abandoned. Do you know that kids think when mom and dad gets a divorce, children think they're the ones at fault? And children often think, what did I do that caused mommy and daddy to divorce? And they often will live with that. What did I do wrong? You see, if I'd have been a better child, mom and dad wouldn't have, they take the blame in life. And so that's abandonment that we may not even know anything about. And as a result of that, that's the behavior. If left unnoticed, unless loved through, will stay in that child over a period of time. You see, John 4, 17 says, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. You know what she was doing? She was clinging, this lady, clinging to a man for relationships. She'd been rejected over and abandoned over and over again. And her answer is, get another man. Listen to me now. Some of you ladies out there, the answer is not get another man. I've seen many women who felt that was the answer And I've always been amazed many times how such wonderful women would often wind up and cling to some of the most God-awful men I've ever known. Didn't go to church until they met her. Hadn't ever tithed. Can't tell you John 3.16 is in the Bible or where it's at. But oh Lord, he's breathing. He can walk straight. And he's alive. Let me tell you where to start. Start at the altar and leave it at the altar until God sends somebody by, if that's his will, to help you journey in life together. Do I have any amens? Thank you. Here's another. How are we going to make it? In Jesus we understand that we are forgiven. No matter how you've been talked to, how you've been abused, how you've been pushed back undeservingly, how many scars you have, how much pain you've experienced. You see, you understand that you're forgiven and that's important. Second Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Every sin Every pain is cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. I'm reminded of the story of the young man. He pastors a great church today of about, I don't know, 40,000. But when he was a teenager, he was the baccalaureate, supposed to be the baccalaureate speaker. Senior year, two weeks before graduation, his mom and dad were called to the office and he was called down from his classroom surprised when mom and dad were there and the principal said your son's been cheating he said I had no idea 
He said, why? The principal explained it. What he's been doing, he hasn't been cheating for himself. But there's another student that he sympathizes with who's not going to graduate this year. And when he found out, he began to coach him and help him and actually on one occasion gave him the answers to the test so he could pass. Mom and dad turned and said, you do that? Yes. I'm sorry. I just wanted to help. But I guess I did cheat. Mom and dad, well known in the community, a small town. They said to the principal, whatever it is that you do to students of this nature, do it. Don't show him any favoritism. The student is weeping by now. He goes to his mom and dad, hugs his mom and is weeping, and dad puts his arm around him. And he said through his tears, will you ever be able to forgive me? Without any hesitation, his mom and dad both said, yes, sir, we can forgive you. We love you, son. We will forgive you. He said, do you know how many years it took me to forgive me? You know how many years I kept rationalizing it must have been embarrassing for the principal to call my mom and dad to school? When how embarrassing it was when I had to come in and admit, hey, I was cheating. Must have been embarrassing that I was supposed to be the baccalaureate speaker, but wow, that was gone. He said, my mom and dad never mentioned that event ever again. They didn't bring it up. You learned a good lesson there. Not at all. I just knew I was forgiven. And it took me years, even after pastoring, for me to forgive me. And this scripture is what helped me. We have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And that hit me supernaturally. And that's no longer in the catalog of emotional hurts in my life. Here's another. He said, I felt secure in Jesus. We used to sing the song, he's all I need, he's all I need. Any of you remember that? He's all I need. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.21, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And when we hear those voices that may just be cataloged in our mind, and we hear that voice that condemned us that said, I don't love you, that voice that might have said, even as a young person, listen, you don't fit in here. You see that partner that you married and thought happily ever after, say, I don't love you anymore, don't touch me. I can't stand you. You come to the conclusion that you are secure in the arms of Jesus who would not leave you nor ever forsake you. That the same power of resurrection spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in your life. And that you can have the security of knowing that God is on your side. And that you have full access 
into the relationship with Jesus Christ. I had an opportunity to present one year at Promise Keepers. It was, it was when they probably had 30,000 men there. And I was asked to be a part of that. I was in the ready room with, with John Hagee and Coach, who was the, the originator of Promise Keepers. And we had badges on that had your picture and had your name. And then on one side of the badge, it was full access. That's what it said. I got up and walked out and went to an area and they had security people everywhere and they said, hold it, sir. And I said, well, I'm, I want to go behind the curtain here. And I turned the badge and it said full access. Oh, Reverend Blackburn, come right on through. We didn't know you had full access. I could have went anywhere. I know some of you still have the cigarette butt burns on your arms. I know some of you still have emotional baggage, those of you listening online. I know that some of you, when I talked this morning about the illustrations, you still remember the voices because it happened to you. And you know the journey that you've had to take to bring total and complete healing, but maybe not everything is healed. Still some doors open. But I'm here to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, that no matter what has happened to you, He's given you full access into the kingdom of beauty and that everything that you've ever faced and every scar and every hurt and every memory is forgiven because that person whom the Son has made free is free indeed. And we need and must allow Him by the Holy Spirit to make us a believer out of that. That's John 8, 36. Would you stand please? He can heal us of our past addictions. He can heal us of our past hurt. He can cause us to be deaf to the negative words. He can lift us up to the baggage that we may still carry. His goal is to cause us to slide back under the bondage of that hurt and that pain and say, well, look at my life. What would it have been had that not happened? Listen to me. There's enough grace and enough mercy still left in your life for God to take you to the destiny that he has designed for you. You have the ability to close the doors of the hurt sometime and the challenges that are there and look with hope into the future. Say, this is what I believe God has for me. But it begins by you saying, yes, Lord. It continues as you say, Lord, I'm going to walk because I am free in the name of Jesus. I will not allow anyone, any word, any force, anybody to tell me that I don't matter because I know that in his plan for my life, I do. Amen? I do. So let's bow our heads, Heavenly Father. I thank you. Now, speak to every heart and every individual here today by your Holy Ghost. You may be here this morning. You might be listening online. This message is to you.
This message is for you. But no message can do what it needs to do without your acceptance. No word can penetrate into your heart without permission from you. God's not in the business of shoving you up against the wall and putting his hand around your throat and say, you're going to take this. He gently, lovingly says, boy, there's an antidote. There is hope. I have an answer and I can help. But you have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit do his work and travel light. So I'm going to ask those at home and those in the room, all of us together, to repeat this prayer from our heart. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I have made mistakes. I have allowed the enemy to push me around. I have accepted his lies. And I haven't stood up to him. But today, I'm believing you for a miracle. I lift my voice. And I declare by God's grace, I am healed. I am whole. And I am new. And I am forgiven. In Jesus' name. So, Heavenly Father, take my life. Use it as you choose. And we'll give you praise. In Christ's name. Amen. God is able. Amen. I pray that you'll be praying. Pray for people to begin to make their journey back. Continue to pray for our missionaries. Take this message. Let it find a lodging place in your heart. Allow God to be God. And when you do that, he'll do great and mighty things in your life. And let's don't forget, this culture and this, this uh, COVID is not God. Our God is to be celebrated. Let's let the world know by the grace of God who, roll, who rules and controls tomorrow. Amen. Let's give the Lord one more clap offering, everybody. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you Wednesday night. Let's enjoy the blessing of the Lord. They're going to worship as you exit. Here we go. Say, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing. God bless you, God keep you. We'll see you on Wednesday.